Well, um, I don't know about you, but 2020 has just been this astonishingly crazy, weird year, hasn't it? Um, we have faced a pandemic, we've faced earthquakes, fires, politics, uh, we faced things in the economy, people um, in our community have lost jobs, we've lost loved ones, uh, we've had people who've been ill, we've certainly had friends and family who've been ill, a lot of us have been separated from our families and not been able to travel. I mean, it certainly strikes me that 2020 um, must go down in history, it's probably not the best year you've ever had, unless that is you were the guy who invented Zoom, in which case you're probably like, I'm, this is amazing. And it's kind of easy, isn't it, because of that, to want to almost write 2020 off and go, okay, let's just get to 2021 and it, everything will be okay. Certainly, um, our great friend Kathleen Doyle, who's preached here a number of times, she put on our social media a couple of weeks ago, um, I'm not putting my clocks back on the 1st of November because seriously, nobody needs an extra hour in 2020. I thought it was, thought it was pretty good. But I've also been asking myself a question like, is 2020 just really a write-off? Should we just hunker down, grit our teeth, and wait for New Year's Day and hope that things are going to be different? But I was starting to think about the church. You know, I was thinking about you know, last year, how God did this amazing thing of bringing people from all over the world to be part of Vintage. How we went through these amazing launch events last year. How we had uh, the launch of church in January, February, and March, and all these amazing people came to join with us. And I was thinking like, could it be true that maybe come March the 15th or whatever it was, maybe God stopped being God of Vintage Pasadena and he stopped working in the world and therefore this has all just been a surprise to him? I thought, well, that's completely stupid. You can't think like in those terms because God, God is God. And so therefore I started to think, well, what is it that God has been doing? God must have known for Vintage Pasadena that this was going to be part of the story. So we've had to assume that God has been at work. God has been at work in our personal lives. God's been at work in our community. God has been doing things because he's known that this would always be part of his story for us. And so then I started to think, well, for myself, what if 2020 wasn't the worst year of my life? Wasn't, what if 2020 is not like a throwaway year? What if it is possible that actually God wants to do things this year that he couldn't do any other years? What if God wants to use 2020 to realign us more to his presence, to his will? What if he wants to strip away some of the things that were wrong and broken and not of him? What if he's preparing us for some amazing things that are coming down the line over the years to come? This week, we're going to think about discipleship and that idea of going deep with God, going further into his presence. And we're going to do it by looking at a passage of scripture that if you've been around churches for a long time, um, you'll know this passage of scripture um, well. I guarantee that you'll have read it many times. But if you're like me, you might well have read it quickly, looked at it and gone, hmm, don't make any, I can't make sense of that. And then like passed on to something a little bit easier. This passage that we're going to read in a moment from uh, Matthew chapter 5 is a manifesto that Jesus gives to the Christian life. But it's so countercultural, it's so radical, you could totally be forgiven for like not really knowing how to begin and how to use it. But I hope you'll see in a minute as we go through it that when we do get hold of it, when we grasp hold of it, it actually is unbelievably life-giving and radical. And I think for our church and for myself, if we could get hold of this and put it at the heart of our lives, 2020 would very quickly change from being a write-off to being a very important year in our lives. So let's, let's get our reading from the beginning of Matthew 5, if you've got it on your phones or if you've got it uh, in the Bible, or if not, it'll be up on the screens uh, with a video. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, 
he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. On a hillside, people have been following him. They've been watching his every move. They've been beginning to figure out that he might be the Messiah figure they've all been waiting for. And as they sit down on this hillside, they're waiting for him to give the big speech. They're waiting for him to call to arms the people of uh, the Jewish people, maybe to uh, form an army, to march into Jerusalem, to kick out the Romans. But what Jesus gives is these astonishing eight phrases, attributes of a kingdom life. And they're kind of phrases that they would have totally not expected in the way that when we think about mission statements, they're totally not what we would expect to happen either. Every one of these attributes starts with the word makirios. And makirios is actually can be translated literally happy or like, you know, emoji, upturned, smiley face emoji. Like that's literally what it can mean. And if your Bible says that, then I totally understand why you've probably passed these over in the past and thought these are weird. There's no way I can engage with these. Happy are people who mourn. Like, no, they, they're not really, are they? That's not how, how it works. Well, the better translation, as we just had this morning, is actually the word blessed. But even that takes a little bit of a stretch to work out. Well, what, is it, what does Jesus really mean by blessed are people who mourn? That doesn't immediately make sense. Well, if you notice, every one of these eight things, as we'll see in a minute, it starts with the word blessed, then it has this attribute of the kingdom life, and then there's this kind of result, the outcome of what the blessed life looks like. Blessed in the way that they, are, they possess the kingdom of heaven. They inherit the earth. They are comforted. They're satisfied. They receive mercy. They see God. They're called the sons of God. And if you want to kind of put like this overarching phrase around what Jesus is talking about, you might say this, God is on their side. God is on the side of these people. God is for and with people who experience and find themselves in this place. God will one day reward these attributes of the kingdom life. Um, now, I'd love to have the time to like, go through with you over the course of the next nine hours, every single one of these little eight phrases. Each one of them is like unbelievably packed full of truth and life for us. Unfortunately, we've only got 20 minutes, so we're not going to do that. I'm just going to pick out a certain number of them. Um, but I do want to just do a little shout out for a podcast, which I found over the last couple of weeks. Um, it's called the Beatitudes Podcast. It's a lovely guy, a guy called Stu Garrard, who has recorded these. They're inspirational. They're challenging. They're full of theology. They're full of prayer. Um, and you can check them out. We're going to put them in the chat right now on the live stream, um, but we're also uh, going to put a slide up to, at the end of the sermon. So if you uh, want to check that out, I would totally recommend doing that, even as your families or your personal quiet time, or even maybe doing it in your community groups as well. Um, the Beatitudes podcast. 
So Jesus starts this, blessed are the poor in spirit. The message translation says this, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Anyone feel like they're at the end of their rope right now? Yeah. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does Jesus mean by being poor in spirit? Well, the first thing Jesus clearly means is he means the poor. Blessed are the poor. You don't have to look very far throughout the Bible to see that Jesus has this special affinity for people who are struggling. If you think about the woman at the well, or you think about you know, the man with leprosy, or the people who were um, just full of um, the demonically possessed, Jesus, over and over again, spends time with those who are physically struggling, the outcasts in society. When you struggle to make rent, when you don't know where the next meal's coming from, when you don't know where you're going to live, when you don't know what 2021's going to look like, God is on your side. But poor in spirit is like not just financial stuff, it's not just material. Poor in spirit is like the whole of who we are. What about this? Blessed are the anxious. Ever been anxious this year? Blessed are the fearful. Blessed are those who live in pain. The wonderful thing of the Christian story is that God is with us. The God of the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. When you are in the place of pain, Jesus says that I am there with you. There are 2,350 verses in the Bible where God speaks about his heart for the poor, the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And of course, that's not because God like wills poverty into our lives. It's not because he calls the coronavirus because he's mean and he wants to get us in this bizarre position. Of course not. But it's that God's compassion and his heart swells for those who are struggling. You know, in, um, in 2008, you know, I'd, ha- I'd had this very straightforward, exciting life to that point. You know, I grew up in a great Christian family. They are so lovely to me. We'd lived all over the world. I'd been to high school. I'd gone to a great university. I'd got my university degree, got my first proper job. We like, pl- had a small business. It was doing really well. And every morning I would get up, kiss my beautiful wife goodbye. I'd get in my car. I'd drive the 30 minutes down the freeway to my office. You know, those car journeys, they were kind of like, occasionally I'd like put the radio on, if anyone can even remember what the radio is nowadays. Like I would, I'd maybe put a podcast on or the Bible in the year. I'd just chill out. It was all very serene. It was very nothing. My relationship with God was kind of like very blase. It was all fine, whatever. And then the 2008 financial crisis hit. Many of you would have been there like I was, a little bit like this year. Suddenly my business went from like super successful to absolutely tanking overnight. We had staff, you know, had my own rent to ends meet to make. It was all like that. You know, my car journeys went from like super blase to like I get in the car at like seven in the morning, shut the door, and then I'd be like praying. You know, there's kind of times we like, God, what the heck is going on? It's like, this is not okay. How are we going to fix this? How are we going to do this? I don't know how to do this. I've never been through anything like this. This is not okay. And for like month after month after month, I would like be driving down the freeway, like singing, crying, shouting out to God. I'm like, I don't know what the other drivers on the freeway must have thought was going on in my car as I went down the the road. And then I get to the end of the working day and I get back in the car as I left the office door and I'd be back in the car going, God, what is going on? God, what is going on? I don't know what to do. And this went on for like months and months until eventually I got to a point where I was just like, God, I'm done. I have hit the end of my rope. There is no more of me. I give up. I cannot fix this business. I don't know how to make money here. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. And it was almost at that moment when I I felt God go, ah, okay, okay. 
blessed are the poor in spirit. And at that moment, as God has so often done to me, as I surrendered, as I just gave up, it was like God went, okay, now, now allow me, now allow me. And God transformed that business. He transformed our lives. The business became very successful. It did really well over the years to come. But at no point did I ever think, ah, I did that. That was all me. What I was always convinced of because I'd lived through it was that God is the only one who can bring success and healing and blessing into our lives. Jesus says, blessed are the people who are at the end of the rope. If you came here this morning, if you tuned in online and you feel like you're at the end of the rope, God says to you, I am on your side. But then he goes even one step further. Blessed are those who mourn, not even people who are having a hard time. Blessed are people who are experiencing death. Blessed are those who mourn. You are blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you embrace, be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. I feel like in Christianity, you can feel like sometimes you have to smile all the time. I have to be happy because that's what it means to be a Christian. What Jesus says, actually, sometimes the most profound places where we encounter God's power, where we encounter his presence, are when we are in that place of desperation. I'd been, um, I'd been an ordained pastor for about two months, I think. Uh, we'd moved to this town. Um, one of my jobs was to kind of pastor like families and young people in this town, big village where we, Laura and I were living. And we woke one morning to the news that this local schoolgirl, Team GB under, under 18 athlete, uh, lived around the corner from us. Her and her friend had been run down tragically by a, a drunk off-duty soldier outside their running club. Like the family were known in the village. The mum was a teacher in the school. They were very successful. They were very much community leaders. I left my home that morning and people were literally in tears on the sides of the street. At the school gate, people were weeping. And I just thought, I don't even know what to do. I'd been ordained a few months. So we just kind of chatted with some people. We went back to the church and about two hours later, these three figures literally collapsed into the door of the church. A mum the dad and the younger brother, just weeping, collapsed into my arms in the front of the church. Not a Christian, never been inside the church before, just broken into pieces. And we prayed for them and the Holy Spirit came in that moment and brought comfort. Like over the, the days and the weeks to come after that, we, we invited local students and friends to come and light candles and make heart shapes and to have moments of prayer and worship in the church. God's Holy Spirit came and touched people's lives. When the funeral came around, I'd never done a funeral before at that point, 600 people turned up and all the press turned up because it was a Team GB athlete. It was all in the national news. Never seen anything like it. God's presence came in that space. And I came to realize over the months and the years and the many, many funerals that I've done since, if you want to see God's presence come in power, go to a funeral. I've seen God move in ways, particularly in Christian funerals, that I've not seen him move in amazing worship services. God says, when you are at your lowest, when you are at the most broken, I am on your side. You know, so often we want to know what God is going to do to fix our situation. God, should I do this? Should I do that? Are you going to take me there? And God just says, I am. I am with you. I cry as you cry. I walk with you as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That is the most comforting thing that I have found, I think, in my life. 
Jesus then goes on, he says, blessed are the meek. Man, whoever wanted to be meek, that's not a quality I've ever wanted in my life. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we're like, okay, right, good, righteousness. Justice, okay, now we're back on, like, we understand these words, except that's not what Jesus says. He says, blessed are the people who hunger after those things, who yearn for the things of the kingdom of God on earth, even though they don't experience them right now. It's like my kids, you know, at five o'clock, if food is not on the table at five o'clock, they lose it because they, they're just like so hungry, even though they ate like four minutes previous to that. Like they, they just can't handle it. Like Jesus says, blessed are the people who are yearning for the things of the kingdom of God on earth. Maybe as you look out of the world today, you think about 65 million refugees around the world. Or you think about the coronavirus. Think about the fact that this year billionaires have got exponentially richer and the poorest of the poor have got exponentially poorer. You think about wars. You think about mass shooting. You think about things of the environment. You have this ache inside you where it's just like, God, where is your kingdom? Where is salvation in these moments in Pasadena, homelessness, in our own lives, addictions? Like, God, this is not what you will. And you yearn and you ache for it. Jesus says, when you yearn and you ache, I am on your side. I am with you in the yearning, in the aching. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. And do you see this kind of picture So often in church, we're like, blessed are the powerful, blessed are the gifted, blessed are the ones who can play a musical instrument and stand at the front. You know, that's what we talk about. Jesus says, no, the people who are going to encounter the kingdom in the most profound ways are the lowliest, are those who know what it means to come empty handed. You know, almost every other world religion out there seems to say, if you're good enough, then God will be on your side. If you perform enough good Christian uh, religious ritual, if you give enough money, if you turn up to enough events, then God will be on your side. The scandal of Christianity says that in our brokenness and in our empty handedness, when we have nothing, God is on our side. Like this beautiful old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. That's the scandal of the Christian story. Blessed are those at the end of their rape. But then there's kind of one more, which I just want to pick up in the last few minutes, because it's kind of a bit different, but I also think it's at the heart of the very spiritual battle that we all face in 2020. Verse 9, Jesus says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, Now, everything else that we've just read, all these other things, are either kind of like situations we find ourselves in, mourning, or they are heart attitudes that we have, you know, like to hunger after something. But in here, peacemakers, Jesus says, blessed are the people who go for something. Blessed are the people who build something. Blessed are the people who strategize and use their effort for something. And it is for peace, the shalom, of heaven on earth. Blessed are those who seek out the unity of the kingdom of God on the earth. There's been like all this talk this year, hasn't there, about like, is the church in the West, in Europe, here in America, wherever else, is it being persecuted? 
Like, are we being like held back? And you know, for what it's worth, as someone who grew up in the Far East around the persecuted church, I have to say this: it doesn't really feel like persecution, particularly. Also, it's interesting to say that you know, blessed are the persecuted is the last of the, of the of these statements. And if you've ever seen a persecuted church, you'll know that on the whole, persecuted churches are the most blessed and alive in God. The underground church in China and places in the Middle East is just astonishing, seeing how God's presence can move in those moments. But I do think in 2020 and in other years that there is a tactic, there's a technique that the enemy uses against the church over and over again. It's the fastest and easiest way that he has to destroy a church, to destroy somebody's faith. And it's the tactic of disunity. It's the tactic of infighting. It's the tactic of distortion and lying. Because when the enemy can get me to go against you or you to go against you, when he can twist our words, he can destroy a church overnight. And I've seen it, and I bet some of you have seen it too. The tactic the enemy uses is the tactic of disunity. If you went back 500 years in Europe, you'd have basically been on earth. You'd have either been a Roman Catholic in the Western church, or you'd have been in the Eastern Orthodox church, in which case um, you'd have probably lived in the kind of Middle East, somewhere like that. There were the two choices. And 500 years ago, this guy called Martin Luther turned up on the scene. Awesome guy, Roman Catholic monk, kind of fat guy, not much hair at the back, just like me. Uh, And he came in order to bring like a real course correction. He was trying to challenge the Catholic church to deal with some areas uh, which were not great morally and theologically. And he didn't mean to, but kind of inadvertently off the back of his life and people like Zwingli and Calvin and those kind of guys, they birthed the Protestant Reformation. We're all part of the Protestant Reformation. I'm not saying it's not a bad thing. But over the last 500 years, we have seen this explosion in individualistic and individualism in our churches. Like how many, little challenge for you quickly, how many denominations of church do you think there are around the world today? Put it in the chat or if you're in the room. And if you're in the room, any guesses? How many denominations? They're still dead, if you were wondering. 120. Forty thousand. Forty thousand denominations of church. Now like, don't get me wrong, so many denominations are started because God's kingdom comes, because his will's done, because the kingdom of God goes to the ends of the earth, all those kind of things. But how many churches do you, if we're really honest, do you think have been started because people fall out with each other? Like because people don't see eye to eye. And often they call it theology, but it's actually music. Or they call it theology and it's actually like, I don't know, whatever style. You, know, you don't have to go too far through LA before you get to streets where it's like First Baptist Church next to Second Baptist Church next to Third Baptist Church next to 57th Baptist Church, or you go to the Church of Jesus Christ next to the real Church of Jesus Christ. The church, you know what I mean? That's what you kind of see all over the place because the enemy knows how to divide us, which is just to constantly get us to fall out with each other until we're divided and broken and weak. That's what the enemy does to us. Christians fall out of a theology, they fall out of a personalities, they fall out of a preference, they fall out of relationships. That's what the kingdom of God struggles with. You know, when I, um, again, I, I'd been a university student just a couple of weeks, a um, couple of months probably, when I got asked to be the president of the Christian Union. It's like this hugely grand title, this student-led organizations on campuses in the UK. And um, I found out when I was been on in the role for about two weeks that actually there'd been this huge falling out the year before in the Christian Union. And these 
group of students had gone one way and another group of students had gone another way and there were now two different organizations and each one thought they were the real Christian union, all that kind of stuff. And so I spent like a, a bunch of months just trying to figure out the dynamics and what had happened. And we went home for the summer vacation and then in September, all the students like returned to UK campuses. And the first thing that we used to do is we would go down onto the campus and we'd unload the bags of all these arriving new students. And we'd say, hey, we're Christians. We just want to invite you to this stuff. We just want to welcome you onto this campus. And it was fantastic. But when I got back home at the end of the, back to my dorm at the end of the day, I found out what the other uh, Christian union had been doing with their days. And I found out that instead of unloading bags, they had photocopied a, an article, which was from a national Christian newspaper that they'd basically written, uh, basically saying how terrible and awful we all were, how we didn't love Jesus, how we'd abandoned the Bible, all this kind of stuff, like totally slanderous things about the Christian Union. And not only they photocopied them, they'd handed the article to every single of the 40,000 students that had arrived onto the campus, given that 95% of those people would have not even been Christians. Like you can imagine how I wanted to slam my head through the nearest wall in my dormitory. But because I was a good Christian boy, I didn't go around to their dormitories and beat them up. Sorry, I almost said a rude word. Uh, I didn't go and did do that. I didn't write another article in the newspaper slamming them all. In fact, I wrote a really nice article in the newspaper saying how wonderful everything was. Um, but deep down, I was furious. You know, you get that. English people are very good at passive aggressivity. So like, we, we don't outwardly say we're angry, but inward, we just get really cross. And of course, when I saw my friends and my family, I was like, you wouldn't believe what happened. These people were like this, and it was like this, and they can't, you know, they can't be really Christians and all that kind of stuff. To the point where I got to the end of my year as being on the Christian Union exec committee, and I was just devastated because I was like, God's done all this great stuff, and we've ruined it. Like, we have ruined it. We have fallen out with each other. We fought with each other. I just had to get on my knees and say, God, I've, I'm so sorry for bringing disunity to your kingdom in a campus on earth. I just spent the last two years of my university life trying to see these two communities come back and be reconciled with one another. And praise Jesus, like two weeks before I graduated, they did. And they're now one, we're one body again on that campus. The enemy loves to divide us. You know, out in the world, people are burnt out. They are broken. They are fed up. They look out at fighting, they look out at anger, they look out at all the stuff that's going on, and they're looking for something that's better. And the wonderful news is that you and I have the better. We have the better, we have the hope for the world. We have the one who says in the very brokenness at the bottom of life, I am on your side and I will bless you and meet you and love you. I will be with you. But we can undo so much of the kingdom work if we fail to love one another. And so as I finish, I just want to offer these kind of moments to pray and say, hey, Vintage Pasadena, as we go into this new phase of life, might we be a people of God who know what it is to love, who know what it is to come humbly, but may we also be a people of God who know how it is to to deal with our divisions well. When I annoy you, when you annoy you, when you annoy each other, may we be that people who are the peacemakers, who fight for the unity of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, so that when the world, the school, the community, the city looks at us, they go, that's it. That is what we're missing. That is the answer to life and the universe and everything. Are you up for that? They're all still dead here, but it's okay. Thank you for being up for online. Shall we pray? And then I'm going to read these Uh, Beatitudes one more time as we come to a place of response. Father, so often we we strive for success. We strive for um, 
power. We strive to be right. And yet your invitation to us is actually to strive to be low, to be humble. Lord, where we've, we've sought other things that are not you, where we have sought to be in control, forgive us, Lord. where we fought with each other out of our arrogance, out of our pride, out of our rights. We're sorry. Birth in us a pure heart, a humble heart, a meek heart, a merciful heart. change our mourning into joy. You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most near to you and dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. You're blessed when, you cont- when you're content with just who you are, no more and no less. That's the moment that you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink. It's the best meal you'll ever get. You're blessed when you care. The moment of being careful, you'll find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you get inside your inner world, your mind and your heart, and you put it right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you show people how to cooperate inside of a comp- uh, how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when you commit your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. When you're at the end of your rope, God is on your side. So we're going to worship God. Um, If you're here or at home, you can stand. Um, Love you to do that. Jeff and Linda are here. Uh, Laura and I are here. Some of the prayer ministry team here. We would love to pray for you, particularly if right now you're in the middle of something really hard. If this just feels like a really tough season, um, we would love to pray for you. You don't even have to tell us what it is. We would just love to pray for you. We'll be around the edges. And if you're online, vintagepasadena.com forward slash prayer will come up on your screens. The other part of our prayer ministry team are currently online and they would love to pray with you as well. Um, Don't miss the opportunity to meet with God this morning. Let's worship, stand and worship.